So let me get this uh, slide up here. The Gospel in the Heart, a match made in heaven. And thank Carlos for reading for 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and verses 1 through 4. I'm going to let you just kind of look at that. Those are the three points we're going to give consideration to this morning. The heart, the gospel, and then God's gospel and man's heart. Kind of combine those at the end. God's gospel, the message that we have, and man's heart is a perfect match. And hopefully this morning as we go through this, we'll come to see how that perfectly uh, matches that message that we have. And then man, the way God has made him. We've been studying on Wednesday evenings in regards to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being involved in the revelation of God's Word. And this book that we have, it is an amazing book. And there's various metaphors that are used in God's Word that help us to kind of understand it and how we can apply it. Sometimes it's referred to as seed, and that seed planted in the heart if it is allowed to take root, it can produce fruit and it can transform us into the image of our Creator. Sometimes this same word, Jesus used it this way. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's referred to as a rock. We can build our lives on the rock. Sometimes this word is referred to as a sword. We can take up the sword of the Spirit and fight our spiritual Battles, But that same word that is referred to as a sword is also like a knife. <laughs> and that's the way the Hebrew writer talks about it. That it can cut both ways and it can cut your heart. <laughs> and it can reveal what is contained within man's heart. Sometimes it's referred to as a mirror. That's the way we talked about it even in class this morning. That we look into this perfect law of liberty and we can see ourselves. And we can see our brokenness. Sometimes it's also referred to as a salve that can be applied to our wounds and to our brokenness and to our wounded consciousness to help soothe it and to heal it. But I want us to understand that the gospel and man's heart is a perfect match. And God knew through the Holy Spirit what he was doing when he delivered this word to us. And so this morning, to help us to kind of understand how it meshes, how it fits together, there's just two words that I want us to give examination to, and that is the heart, and then we want to talk about the gospel, and we see how they fit together. So first of all, whatever... That's amazing. How did that happen? wonders of technology <laughs> never cease to amaze me okay talk about the heart and the way in which the word heart is used within the scriptures because the Bible's not like a dictionary where you just run down the list till you come to the word heart and then you just go across and you just read what the heart is but rather within the scriptures what you have to do is you have to take a look at how that word is used within context and then you come to understand what is being talked about. And so what I, that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to notice some passages together. And then understand exactly what it is that's being talked about whenever the, the scripture says or uses that word heart. 
I'm going to start with Genesis, the sixth chapter, and about verse five. And I'm going to kind of run through these this morning because we don't really have time to read every one of these. But there's an outline back there if you care to pick up one. It's got all these on. Genesis, the sixth chapter, and verse five. It said that God saw that every thought and every intent of man's heart was only evil continually. The thoughts of his heart. Mark the second chapter. On one occasion, Jesus is in the house and there is being crowded from the outside. So much so that there was a man who was brought on a pallet and they climbed onto the roof and they let him down into the room where Jesus was. And it says that Jesus, seeing their faith, said to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. And there were some scribes that were sitting there. And it says that they reasoned in their hearts. Who is this that forgives sins? And in about verse 8, Jesus says, Why do you reason in your hearts about this? Matthew, the 13th chapter. Jesus taught the parable of the sower. And then afterwards, the disciples were asking him about that. Why do you teach them in parables? Notice what he says in verse 15. He said, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts in turn so that I should heal them lest they should understand with their hearts Romans 10 and verse 10 Paul says with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation now I want you to just think about those passages that we just looked at there Genesis 6, Mark 2, Matthew 13, and Romans 10. Genesis 6, every thought. Mark 2, you reasoned. Matthew 13, you understood. Romans 10, you believed. You know, psychologists kind of like to analyze this, right? And so whenever psychologists talk about the part of man that thinks and reasons and understands and believes, you know what psychologists call that? They say that's, that's your intellect. That's your intellect. Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verse 12. It says, The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of the joints and of the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God can discern your intentions. You ever make plans to do something? We make plans all the time, don't we? Well, I'm intending to, and then do something, right? 
We did that this morning. Because the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that we should give as we, as, as we have purposed in our hearts. You thought about it. You made plans. And this is what I intend to give. And Paul says, that's what you should do. In Romans 6, Paul said, Thanks be to God that you obeyed from the, form, from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been made free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So Paul says, you obeyed. Paul says, you intended. The Hebrew writer says, the intents of your heart. You know what psychologists call that? When you intend to do something, when you plan to do something, and then you do something, psychologists call that your will. So it's your intellect, and it's your will. But now in Romans 10, backing up to verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. What did Paul say? He said, my heart's desire. You have any desires of the heart? In Matthew 22, there was a lawyer that came to Jesus on that occasion and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love the Lord with all your heart. Paul wrote to Titus, and he gave him instruction about how older women were to teach younger women. He said, tell the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. So where are our desires? Where are our, is our love? Where is our affection found? Scripture says that's found in the heart. Now one more. Proverbs 3, Solomon writes and he says, Son, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will guide your footsteps. So as we take a look at those passages in Romans 10 and Matthew 22 and Titus 2 and Proverbs 3, it's the desires. It's the love. It's the affection. And it's the trust. You know what psychologists call that? That's our emotions. So when you put all that together and you take a look at what the Bible says about the heart, it's talking about our minds or our intellect. It's talking about our will. It is talking about our emotions. The intellect 
it's the power to know. And the emotions, that's the power to feel. And the will, that's the power to respond or to act. That's our heart. That's my heart. My mind, my emotions, my will. That's who I am. That's who you are. That's the part that God made in His image. God made man to know Him. And God made man to love Him. And God made man to serve Him. But that will that He gave you and that He gave me we oftentimes refer to that and we say that's a, a free will. Because I can choose. Do I want to know God? Do I want to love God? Do I want to serve God? I have a choice in all of those areas. But that's man as God made him. And man from the beginning. You know what man did? He turned. And he made a choice. Think about that. Satan comes. And he tempts Eve and then Adam. And he questions God. Do you know God? Has He given you to eat of every tree of the garden? No, there's one that He told us not to eat from. Why did He do that? Didn't they know God, that God was good? And that God had provided everything for their health and for their happiness and for their well-being? And God had provided all of that for them. But Satan comes along and says, do you really know God? (laughs) Why is he not allowing you to eat this tree? They had to think about that. And then Eve saw that fruit. And that it was good for food. There was desire that was fired. And that it would make you wise. Just one thing left. What are you going to do? Will you do what God has said? Don't eat nor touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But they did. And so the mind and the emotions and the will the heart of man was turned away from God now I'm going to fast forward a few centuries okay (laughs) and we know the stories that are contained there in the Old Testament don't we don't we know Adam and Eve and then Cain and Abel 
Tower of Babel, and we know Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and, and all those stories, and the nation of Israel, and how they were in a covenant with God, and that they were supposed to love Him, and that they were supposed to serve Him. But what happened? Their hearts were turned away. So Jeremiah, the 17th chapter in verse 9, This is what Jeremiah says. And Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. Is he not? And he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now some religious teachers would look at that and they'd say, See there, huh? Man is just inherently evil and that's his heart and that's why he does what he does. Well, I want to tell you something. That's not what Jeremiah is saying. You know what Jeremiah is saying? He's saying the heart is deceitful. See, in the context of Jeremiah, you know what's going on there? God had told them long ago back in the deserts of Sinai when they entered into that covenant with Him. I will bring you into this land, but if your hearts are turned away, I will drive you from this land. And Israel had been carried away and now Judah is about to be carried away. And you know who is just outside the gates? It's Babylon. And they're going to lay siege to this city. And Jeremiah will record how desperate it will get inside those walls to the point where they will eat their young. And all all of that is going on. (laughs) Do you know what some of their own prophets were saying? Oh, it's not going to be that bad. (laughs) We're not going to really get carried away. And even though we've turned... And we've not been faithful to God as we should have. He's still with us. Your heart is deceived. And when you tell people that, you're deceiving them. That's what Jeremiah is saying. And he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Won't you turn? Can't you see the armies of Babylon assembled outside these walls? And God has warned you. He has sent the prophets and yet you still won't listen. You are deceived. And you're trying to deceive people. That's wicked. And he says, speaking in regards to the heart, who can know it? Who can know man's heart? That's a rhetorical question. Because he answers it in verse 10. He says, The Lord searches the heart, and he knows the heart of man. Why do you people do what you do? Why do you act the way you act? God knows. And your heart has been turned away. You know what God wants to do? 
He wants to turn that heart. He wants to turn that heart back to him. So what's God do? God has a plan. And he's had a plan from the beginning. And he's going to send his son. And when that son comes, what follows is a message. It's a message of what God has done through his son. That'll turn their hearts. That army outside the walls, it hasn't turned. What'll turn? Paul said in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That's what has the power. To turn a man's heart. In Mark 16, passage we quote all the time, but I wonder if we really stop and think about it like we should. Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go tell that message of good news to every creature. Because that's what will turn people's hearts. I want to pause right there for just a moment. I'm a product of the 50s, but grew up in the 60s and 70s, right? Historically, religiously speaking, within this country. It was about in the 60s, really, and into the 70s. When came along what is referred to as the social gospel. It was an appeal to man. And some of the things that he desired. Now, I'm not being critical, okay? I'm just saying, consider what I'm telling you. And then you can attack me afterwards. <laughs> there were things like Mom's Day Out. I have nothing against moms. <laughs> and I've spent some time at school. And there comes a time when it's like, ah, I've had enough of these kids. <laughs> And have you noticed lately on the news that a lot of moms are saying, kids should be back in school. <laughs> Why is that? But see, churches picked up on that too. They said, you know, we ought to have a mom's day out. Hey, I'm going to that church. What else? Well, there's kind of recreation and entertainment for the family. And so they first started building gymnasiums and I heard a preacher say this. I sat in that meeting and listened to him. And he said, I'm going to tell you something right now, brother. <laughs> he said, don't ever call that a gymnasium. He goes, because the brethren will get upset. 
So this is what I want you to call it. That is a family life center. <laughs> it still had basketball goals <laughs> and volleyball nets. <laughs> but that appealed. And all that kind of sprang up and we could go on and on. And, and now we have the mega churches, right? And the idea is to provide a lot of things that appeal to the natural fleshly man. Build bigger buildings. Fill those buildings with people. But you know what the problem is? They forgot what turns a heart. You can fill a building with people. But the question is, has their heart been turned? So what Jesus say? Go preach the gospel. You know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9? He said, Woe be unto me. If I preach not the gospel. That's what his responsibility was. We just studied the book of Galatians. And what did he say in the first chapter? If we are an angel from heaven come to you with any other gospel other than that which has been preached, let them be accursed. You know what he said when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica for the second time? He said the Lord is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and obey not the gospel. I want you to preach this message because that's what turns people's hearts. Woe unto you if you don't preach it and don't you change it. And when the Lord comes back, He'll take vengeance on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel. So he said, I want you to go preach the gospel. And we read from 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, verse 1 through 4. And what did Paul say the gospel was? How Christ died according to the scriptures. That's the first fact. How he was buried. That's the second fact. And how he rose according to the scriptures on the third day. That's the third fact. So what does God want preached? I want you to go preach those facts. And what are people supposed to do with them? You're going to think about them. You're going to ponder about them. And reason them about them. But I want you to preach those facts you know what else he wants preached I want you to preach the commands of the gospel and when you stop and think about that what are they Jesus said unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins that's a command Jesus said except you repent 
you shall all likewise perish. That's a command. Confess me before men and I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. Deny me before men and I will deny you before my Father in heaven. That's a command. And then Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. The rest of the verse he that disbelieves shall be condemned. I want you to preach those facts. And I want you to preach those commands. And when I come back, those who do not believe, and those who do not know God, and those who do not obey the gospel, they'll take vengeance on them. That's the message he wanted preached. Now that may not be all that PC. But Paul said, Woe unto me if I do not preach it. And don't change it. You just proclaim it. But there's something else. There's the promises of the gospel. We touched on it this morning in class and we've talked about it before in Acts 2, the Apostle Peter. When he preached that they had put to death the Son of God, what's it say? It says that they were cut to the heart. And when they came to realize that, then they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a promise. You can be forgiven. Yes, your heart has been turned away. But yes, you can come back. And yes, you can be forgiven. That's a promise. When Peter wrote his first letter, he was talking about how Noah and his family were saved and how they were separated from that wicked world by water. And he said, baptism now corresponds to this. And he says, baptism now saves us. Not a putting away of the filth of the flesh, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience. So when you put that all together, and you think about the gospel, just like we think about the heart and what all the, the scriptures has revealed about the heart, you have the facts, you have the commands, and you have the promises. And man has mind or intellect, and he has will, and he has emotions. And so whatever we think about the combining of those two together, which part of the gospel is directed towards the mind or the intelligence of man? Isn't it the facts of the gospel? That God sent His Son? That He was put to death? And that He was buried? And that He rose again on the third day? Those are the facts. And you know what you do with facts? You read those facts. You study those facts. You think about those facts. And then you can believe those facts. And that's what God wants us to do. 
And that's directed towards the mind of man. Towards our intellect. But then now watch. There's also the commands of the gospel. There's faith, and there's repentance, and there's confession, and there's baptism. Those are commands. Those are not options. In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, God through Moses, when He's talking about how He led them for 40 years in the wilderness, He said, I led you these 40 years to test your hearts to see what were in them. Will you follow my commands? He wanted to know what was in the heart of man. You know how you find out what's in the heart of man? <laughs> Give him something to obey. Then you'll find out whether or not they'll bow the knee or not. It's no longer thinking about it. <laughs> it's no longer reasoning about it. It comes to the point whether or not you're going to do it. That's directed towards our will. God wants to know what's in your heart. But there's one other thing. And that's our emotions. Our desires. And our affections. You know, the oldest person that I ever preached a funeral for was 98 years old. 98. You tell one of these little kids somebody lived to be 98 years old. They're going to go, whoa. That's really old. 98. That's 98 birthdays. It's 98 springs. 98 summers. 98 falls. 98 winters. 98 Thanksgivings. 98 Christmases. The next oldest person that I ever preached a funeral for was 95. But you know what? Both of them, in their latter years, <laughs> you know what they told me? They said it all went by so fast. Isn't that the truth? It all went by so fast. 98 seems like a lot, but it's gone. Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, the writer of Ecclesiastes says... He has set eternity within their hearts. Man is the only one of God's creatures that sits and ponders what's after this life. They're the ones that want to live forever. Think about that. In the very beginning, God created man and woman. And he made every provision for them. And they walked and talked with God and they were in fellowship with him. And they had access to what? To the tree of life. They could live forever. But Satan came along. And their hearts were turned. Their thoughts were turned away from God. Their emotions were turned away. Their affections were turned away from God. And then their will 
they decided to do what they wanted to do and not listen to God. But God told Satan, He said, I'll put enmity. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed. And you shall bruise him on the heel, but he will bruise you on the head. You know what God was indicating there? He was indicating he already had a plan. You just succeeded in turning their hearts away from me. But I'll turn them back. That plan unfolds on the pages of Scripture. And it culminates at the cross. At the cross, I know God's thoughts towards me. At the cross, I know His desires for me. At the cross, I see the action He took for me. See, it's at the cross. I know the mind. I know the desires. And I know the will of God. At the cross, I know the heart of God. But at that cross, you know what else happens? He knows your mind. And He knows your desires. And He'll find out what your will is. It's a perfect match. God's heart revealed in the cross revealing what's in our heart. Will we be turned back? Will our minds be centered on Him once again? Will our hearts be set on Him? And will I say, I serve you? The gospel perfectly corresponds to the heart of man. Nothing lacking. Everything is provided. And Paul told Timothy in the last letter that he ever penned, he said, I know whom I have believed, and I know he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. That's the gospel. That's what he once preached. Because that's what will turn men's hearts. If you're here this morning... You're subject to the invitation. We want to extend it at this time. If we can help you in any way, you let us know. While together we stand and while we sing.